success looks so easy from the outside, but all successful people have had to overcome enormous obstacles along the way. And in many cases, look failure right in the eye. Most successful people don't focus on the struggle and rarely do they talk about it because quite frankly, that's not what creates success. Join us here where we will chat with fierce female entrepreneurs and share the good, the bad, and the ugly of entrepreneurship and talk about the obstacles we have faced and how you can overcome them to reach the success that you desire. I am your host, Cami Lehman, and this is the She's Invincible Podcast. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today on the She's Invincible Podcast. Oh, my gosh. I have one of the most invincible ones to introduce you today. My friend Ann Peck is an award-winning author, independent journalist, and an adoptee. Her bylines include Entrepreneur Magazine, Business Insider, Greenwich Time, Stanford Advocate, Connecticut Post, and many more. She is the creator and instructor at the Adoptee Writers Experience, where she works with adoptees interested in writing their adoption stories, either for themselves or publication. She offers online and in-person writing intensives, classes, individual coaching, and a membership community for female identifying adoptees. Anne is the author of three books, including the best-selling Smiling on the Outside, Secrets, Sex, Shame, and the Search for Self-Love, which won six national and international awards in relationships, women's issues, and sexuality, and was reviewed by Publishers Weekly. Anne is a member of the Society of Professional Journalists, the Women's National Book Association, and is a member and an ambassador for the National Society of Newspaper Columnists. When she's not traveling, Anne enjoys her time at home on the shores of a lake in Minnesota. Oh my gosh, welcome, welcome, Anne Peck. I am so excited to have you here today on the She's Invincible podcast. Thank you, Cami. I'm thrilled to be here. Oh my gosh. You know what this reminds me of is introducing you with your bio is when we were in New York City. I just had this flashback and I know we'll talk about that later, but I just had this flashback of when Big D dribbled the words out on a piece of paper at the bar (laughs) (laughs) and I got to introduce you and that was amazing. And it is such an honor to call you my friend such an honor to call you my friend and just to be able to have you here today to share your story to impact and empower so many others that are on that journey as well. Well, that memory you just shared gave me goosebumps. I know, I have a tear in my eye. (laughs) I know, it was a crazy and powerful experience for us to share. And I'm so glad we're back here sharing another one together. 
I know, I know. And it's just, it's so surreal, isn't it? I know. And it's been <laughs> years, right? And you just reminded me before we hit record and it just so amazing, just so amazing. And I'm so grateful. And you know, you just don't know what life has in store for you, right? Like the, the way right. that we met and, you know, just the, our friendship and just uh, the way that we support each other. And I'm just, I feel so blessed. That's what I'm saying here. So, and oh. you are invincible. And I can't think of anyone that I would rather have more than you to talk about this topic today. So let's do this. Let's jump in. Let's tell our listeners how in the world did you get where you are today? And what makes you invincible? Well, it's funny you should ask because I have a hard time looking back and saying, how did I get here today? Um, because it's been such a crazy journey. I'm going to answer the second question first because that's how I roll. And what makes me invincible is that I am flipping resilient. Um, that's the only word that seems to encompass me and the life I've had. And how I got here, well, we're not going to go back to the real beginning, which was, you know, 50 some years ago. But really, I think the big turning point was after both parents, well, after my mom died and then my marriage ended and the money disappeared and everything turned upside down and then my dad died and I was all alone. And I mean, I had no money. I had no family. I have my two children, which at the time they were young. And so I was alone, Cammy, and I had to figure out what I was going to do and who I was going to be. Um, so I want to say I reinvented myself, but I really didn't. I just stepped back and started over. Um, I had been a professional speaker. And so I started by saying, okay, let's see if I still have the chops to do that. So I spent a ton of money that I didn't have to go through a program that was awesome. And I learned that, yes, I still have the chops but I learned even more about myself. And what I learned was instead of following someone else's script, I was following my own and I'm an amazing storyteller and connector. And my story was relatable. It connected with other women, men connected too, but it was the women that would come up afterwards and say, Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. And even if they didn't have the same experience, they shared the same emotions about their own experience. And doing that led me to doing a lot of things um, from starting a podcast to, to making the decision to write a book. And it was the decision to write a book that was really powerful because I decided that all of these stories that I had been feeling shame about and hiding could make a difference for someone else. And I decided if it could make a difference for even one person, it would be worth it. And I'd like many people, I'd always dreamed about writing a book. I just never knew what it would be about. And so all the pieces fell into place as I started finding my new, Anne, the new Anne, I guess is really what I started doing. And, um, and she was always there. I'm still finding Anne. I mean, that's the thing. There is no end game to discovering who we are. What I have discovered is that there are lots of moments where I think I know who I am and then I take off in a direction and then I'm smacked upside the head virtually, not really. <laughs> and it's like, whoa, yeah, no, 
and then I have to start over. And so I have reinvented myself multiple times, but I think the message to the listeners is that it's not really about changing who I am. It's uncovering who I am and accepting. And that means also accepting what I don't know about who I am. And that was probably one of the hardest parts. Yeah. And isn't that interesting? Cause it's like a discovery. It's like unfolding and revealing itself. And then you have to kind of look at that and be like, is that who I am? And, and then yeah. if it is, you're like, oh, that is who I am. Like, how am I working with that? Right. But, right. but like, it's a plot twist. I feel like, you know, this whole journey through life is a plot twist. We, you, like yeah. you said, getting smacked upside the head, you're like, oh, plot twist, right. Go in a different <laughs> direction. Um, but I just, I, you know, I, uh, I admire you for your courage for writing that story. Like, first of all, you are invincible. You live the story, <laughs> but that, but the courage it takes to, you know, I think we do what we have to do in a moment, but, but then yeah. to be able to have the courage to go back and like, say, this was my story. It is amazing because there it's, it's a lot of people's stories and yet they're not healing from it because they didn't have the courage to, to tell that story. And you are such a great storyteller. Um, and I have to say, I enjoyed every, every word on your book and read it more than one time. Um, and I've, and, and I've told people about it and said, you've got to read this book. It's so good. So I oh. so yeah, love, love, love your book smiling on the outside. And, um, so I do want to encourage our listeners. You're going to hear more about that later, but I definitely want to encourage them. So you are an adoptee as it says so beautifully in your, um, bio. And I would love to get started on that topic. And I know, you know, you and I are friends. We had a conversation in, in the Caribbean, right? We <laughs> on, did. A float, on a float in Aruba, we had a conversation which totally blew my mind. And um, I really feel like this is such an opportunity for us to open this topic up within our community of She's Invincible and really start to get the conversation going to draw forth the people who need the support that you are able to offer. And that, that is my mission today is that we can just speak uh, openly and authentically about the things, the real things, the whole truth, uh, so that people can come forward because there's not a lot of help out there for this, but I know you and I love you and trust you. And I, I know that you can help these people that are struggling. So let's go, let's jump no. in. Um, my right. first, I want to hear your whole story, but my first question is at what point in your life did you find out or were made aware that you were adopted? Candy, I never didn't know. So I always, I mean, there was never a time that I can look back and say, oh, that's when I found out. It was just something that I was always aware of. My baby book says for the adopted child on the cover. Wow. So, I mean, that's, you know, once you start reading, that's a pretty um, in your face sort of, yeah, this is, this is who I am. Uh, so I always knew, and I, it was obvious too, because I didn't look like anybody. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, yeah. okay. So let's start from the beginning. So tell us about, okay. yeah, tell us the whole story. All right. So I was adopted as an infant. Um, I was placed and that's what they called it back then. So I was, you know, I was adopted in the 60s and I was placed with my adoptive parents. Mm, 
30 days later after I was born, 29 days roughly, uh, you know, without a calendar, me counting the dates, it's hard to say, but it was a month and I then met them. But the first time they met me was at a, um, at a church because it was a religious, um, Lutheran social services was the name of it. And so the placement service meant my parents showed up, someone has showed up with me and they put us together and then they did a little religious ceremony about whatever. <laughs> um, I even have a program that says placement service, which, you know, I have mixed feelings about. Um, I have a lot of mixed feelings about a lot of aspects, which is not uncommon. Uh, but I think the first thing that I want to say about the beginning of my story is we have heard language out there that says adoptees are chosen. And these stories, I think, were created with good intentions. Yeah. But they were created without considering the impact that it has on the adoptee. Because if someone is chosen, that means they weren't wanted by someone else. And it's a tiny little thing, but for many adoptees, it's a big thing that shows up in lots of different ways, uh, which I'm sure we'll get into. But for me, I was wanted. Uh, my parents had a biological child who is 12 years older. So I have a brother um, that's their biological child, 12 years older than me. They wanted another child. So that's why they went through the adoption agency. And they received a call that there was a baby waiting, a baby boy. Obviously, I'm not a boy. So there was a baby boy waiting, and my mother had just gotten out of the hospital. She was still in traction, and she was wearing a neck brace. And so she was not able to accept that child. So I was next. And I think that's an important distinction for people to understand. I wasn't chosen. I was the next available baby. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. And my parents were awesome. My parents, first, let me just say, I had really awesome parents. And you can have really awesome adoptive parents and still have a lot of emotion and feelings about the parents that created you and didn't raise you. Right. So I mean, it's, it's rejection, exclusive. right? It's rejection, That's, right? Like from the beginning, a, as you said, it's you're not chosen. You were not, you know, you were put into that place. Yeah. Okay. So um, do you feel comfortable talking about your biological parents at this point? Like, you know, what was going on with them? Why, why did you, they choose to put you up for adoption? Uh, sure. I pretty much, if I haven't written about it yet, I will. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, my stories are out there. And here's another piece that not everyone understands. Adoptees, are given a story, but it's not always the truth <laughs> and it's not always accurate. And so I grew up the information that my adoptive parents had given, been given through the service and it thus passed on to me. I grew up believing I was 100% Norwegian. So, and, and I look at, right. I mean, that was, that was easy. It was like, I'm Norwegian. And so people would say, what are, and I, that was something I could claim. That was part of my identity that I claimed because I look at and that's what they told me. And so that's what I was. I knew the ages of my biological parents. I knew their religions. 
And I was led to believe that they were in college and that's why they didn't keep me. I mean, that was not like specifically stated in those exact words, but that was the underlying message of what they shared. And I was about 26, 27 when I reached out to find health information and I was told, oh, gee, you should have reached out when you were 25 or younger because then we would have searched for free for you. But we can give you non-identifying information that you may not have. So yeah, don't get me started yet on the health information, but the non-identifying information that they sent me, so I have still the letter. And that non-identifying information that I received at in my mid-20s informed me that I was not 100% Norwegian. Which to some listeners, they may say big deal. But to the adoptees listening, they know what I know. And that is when you grow up without any information of where you've come from, you grab a hold of whatever you're given. And then to learn later in life that you're not who you, that one piece that you were sure it was part of who you were. And now you find out you're not. That has a big impact, you know, and that's on top of all of the other impacts that adoption creates mm. that people haven't been wanting to talk about, even though the research has been around for multiple decades, long before I was born, even. Mm. Unbelievable. So, you know, we'll skip a little bit to the end of this part of the story of how did you find your biological mother? DNA testing. And DNA testing, I went through all three of the sites over a span of three years. And she wasn't on there, so I didn't match with her. <laughs> but I had some cousins that I matched with, and Big D said, hey, maybe you should reach out and see if you can backtrack from cousins. So I literally looked at all three sites that I was on. I took the top, top 10 closest matches on each site, sent them the same copy and paste message. Hey, I'm adopted. I'm searching for my family. Any clues? You know, I told them when I was born and where I was born. And I heard from a number of people. And as it turned out, although I didn't know it at the time, I ended up hearing from people on both my birth mother and birth father's side. I got two people, um, two cousins, both men who said, gave me their phone numbers to talk to them. And I called one in the evening and we talked so long that it was too late to call the other one. So the first one I spoke with said, hey, we've got a cousin that was on a full scholarship to Iowa or to go to play football in Iowa. And so we think he's your dad. Um, he was kind of a player, you know, and so I'm hearing this. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but what that led me to doing that night was finding um, this man on Facebook and then tracking all of the people with the same name who appeared to be related. So basically, I totally Facebook stalked all of the photos of his family, trying to figure out who I looked like and who I was connected to and all of that. And I didn't sleep hardly at all that night. The next morning, I woke up and I realized why I hadn't slept. And it was because what I was seeing about this man was I was worried 
he's, he's seen, you know, this is me projecting, right? So my insecurity and me looking at this and I'm like making judgments and assuming that what I'm seeing is this is a guy who's not going to give me information about my mom. And so I was feeling really sad because it, because that process made me realize that even though I was searching for biological family, I really wanted to find my mom first. And so realizing that was helpful before I called my second cousin, who was very sweet. They both were. Uh, we start up on the conversation. He was actually driving. He pulled over on the side of the road to talk to me. And he says that, well, I called my cousin Jan to ask her if her brother... And I'm like, okay, same guy, same story. You know, I'm getting excited. I'm feeling like this is it. This is it. And he said, I asked her if her brother had a baby, you know, in Iowa back in the year I was born. And she responded by saying, no, that was me. Yeah. And so it was like, they had a great conversation and she shared her phone number with him and said, please give it to me so that I could call her. So. I uh, called her that afternoon. Of course, before I could call her, I had to role play on what am I going to say if I get voicemail? What am I going to say if, if she answers? And so Big D helped me through that. And then, of course, because I was going to have a phone call with my mother for the first time, I had to make sure that I was, you know, nicely dressed. My hair was fixed. I had my makeup on because she totally couldn't see me through the phone. But I needed to feel like I looked good for her, even though she couldn't see me. Getting dressed for the so, party, right? Oh my gosh. That's right. So at, how many years ago did you actually connect with your mom? It was October 2000. No, it was October 2020. So only two years, less than two years ago. Yeah, it was. Wow. Oh my gosh. In the middle of a pandemic, nonetheless, right? If you're going to find somebody, that's, right. that's how you want to find them, right? They're not going anywhere. <laughs> Oh no. my gosh. So tell us about that reunion, about that first conversation. Well, it lasted for a couple of hours. Um, and she had just gotten home. So she picked up the phone. She was still in her car at her house, but still in the car. So I think we spent the first hour with her sitting in the car and she's in Oklahoma and it was warm. <laughs> she finally said, can I go in the house and talk to you where it's air conditioning? And I'm like, of course. So we cried together. Uh, and that was really the first time that I had this connection. Uh, well, it was all a connection, but I'm trying to figure out the word. It was, it was the first time that I recognized myself because she and I cry the same. It was so weird. I mean, I have two kids and I gave birth, so I know they're mine, but they don't look like me. <laughs> And so the genetic mirroring hadn't happened. And here I am on the phone with this woman who I know is the woman that gave birth to me. And we're both crying and we sound alike. And it was surreal. It was just um, one of those moments that I can't even express to you and the listeners what it was like, because it, I st it still makes me, you know, lose my ability to, to form a complete sentence. Um, <laughs> it was so special. And the conversation that we had, I think we jumped all over the place about various things. Uh, she was so happy that I found her. That's, you know, she was happy that I found her. And she told me she has two children. Um, so I have two half, si half siblings. Uh, one's a sister, one's a brother. So, and I think 
the oldest is like 10 years. So I'm, or no, maybe seven. I don't know. I'm the oldest sibling. Um, and she ended up getting married and having two children with uh, their father, her husband at the time. And let's see. I mean, they're just, I can't remember the specifics. I know that I wrote them in a notebook so that I would have them, but off the top of my head, I'm not recalling any other specifics of the yeah. conversation, just that it went on for a long time. And we finally were like, okay, we can end now, but let's talk again soon. And, you know, from there, you know, I was sharing with my family about the conversation. And uh, the next thing I knew, I had someone reach out to me on Facebook and said, I understand you connected with, and she used our mom's name, but it was my sister. I'm so happy you found us, she said. And did she know that you, that your, that your mom had given you up for adoption? Yes. Um, apparently some years back, I think, um, I don't know if she was 18 or our brother was 18. She's the youngest, but someone was around the age of 18 and mom didn't actually tell them, um, their dad did because he met my mom uh, when she was pregnant, or I guess maybe she, he knew her before. Um, but they started dating when she was pregnant. I'm not really sure of that exact timeline, but he's the one that told the kids that your mom had a child she gave away. Wow. And so they, they always knew, and I didn't. (laughs) Right. You didn't know they existed, but they knew you were out there. So here's a, here's a big question. So when you, when you did find your mom and you had that conversation, were you able to verify that the story you were told about why you were adopted was true or was there another story? Uh, when I finally met her, which was just a couple weeks later, I drove down to Oklahoma to meet her. Uh, we went for a walk on the land um, that she lived on, and we talked about it. And again, I didn't have a lot of information, right? So in my in the story I'd been told, I don't recall whether I had been. Well, I think it was actually in the paperwork. Now that I'm talking, uh, my birth father I'd been told left. So I didn't know what that meant other than I always from an early age internalized it to this man didn't want me. Now, I still don't know the story from his perspective. So, you know, it's not uncommon as human beings for us to make up stories, no matter what our situation, it's not uncommon for us to make up stories and decide they're true. And maybe they're not true. Or we later find out they're not true. So I want, I want to be clear on it. This was the story from what was in the paperwork that was filled out by my birth mother that got translated and, you know, shared with me, combined with the story that I made up in addition to what I had seen. So I carried the story that this man didn't want me. Well, I still carry it because I'm waiting to find out what the real story was. Um, I just carry it maybe a little lighter, not quite as heavy on me as it used to be, but it's still a heavy burden um, because that's a piece of abandonment. Um, so from from the birth father perspective, I don't really know the answers yet, but from her perspective, uh, it was the same and not the same. And I think that's part of the challenge is 
I know she loved me because I was with her and she told me that. I also know what she went through based, I mean, I, you know, what she shared with me and she was in Wisconsin and she was in college and she was pregnant and this was in the mid sixties. And this was when people were looked down on for men and women for, you know, being pregnant and not being married. So she was sent away and she was sent to Iowa, which is where I was born. And she was sent to Iowa to live with a family that apparently was part of the uh, Lutheran social service connection somehow, whether it was part of a church or just directly through them. But this was a family that welcomed uh, youth into their home from a variety of backgrounds. And so when she showed up, I think she re- she told me whether, I don't remember whether it was one or two young men that were living there also at the time. And what she shared with me during that walk when I first met her was that when she got to this house, one of those young men asked her, what'd you do wrong to end up here? Hmm. And wow, what'd you do wrong to end up here? And so that was how things were back then. Yeah. And she was living there when she ended up giving birth to me. And why was I given up for adoption? I mean, I learned a little bit more. I've heard a few more stories. And, you know, some of the stories include, I didn't know how I was going to care for you on my own. Um, And, you know, this is an uncomfortable story to share. But the, the other story I've heard is that the man she was dating um, at the time that his mother, so his mother, not related to me in any way, but this, this boyfriend's mother said, my son's not going to raise another man's baby. So in other words, you know, the unspoken message was, if you want to be with my son, then you, you can't have the baby. If you want to have the baby, you can't be with my son. You know, so yeah, that's a difficult one for me. Um, because you know, that man is my sibling's father. I was going to ask you and, that. Is that who your mom ended up marrying? Yeah, and then, and here and, his mother made that decision, made a decision to have you adopted. Well, and see, this is, this is the part that we don't know, but we, as an adoptee, I can tell you that ultimately my mom was, I think she was 21 or 22. Um, she made the decision. Yes, she may. I mean, she may have been coerced, which I believe there was some coercion involved. But it's a not easy as the adoptee to sit back and say she made that decision. But how it feels to me is that she chose a man over me. Right. And it's not something that I can really have a conversation with her now, given her health. I can't, I can't have that conversation and my siblings, you know, they, they weren't there. They weren't born yet. They weren't even a glimmer in anybody's eye. So they don't have that answer. So I'm not going to get that answer. And that's, that's a hard thing to, to live with because you think when you find your adoptive parents that you're going to get these answers. And, and the reason that 
those answers feel so important is because as an adoptee who really knew nothing about who she was and didn't look like anybody she grew up with, the story I told myself was that when I meet my adoptive parents, when I find them, I'm going to have the answers to explain why this happened, how I ended up here, which will give me more insight into who I am. Uh, because who I am is a product of my genetics and the situation and the circumstances around my birth and the choices about who parented me. All of that goes into who I am. And there are some answers I'm not going to get. And right. you know what? It's not fair. And I think I sound like a 10 year old. It's not fair. I want to know. And you should tell me now. Uh, but the reality is, you know, those answers. If you are the product of, if, if the parents that raised you are the parents that created you, you know, those answers. Right. And you don't even think twice about it. You take it for granted because it's just how you were raised and who you grew up with. And that's the challenge is that if you are not adopted, you have no frame of reference to understand the deep wound that adoptees live with. I agree. And I, no one knows I can, if they haven't walked ah. in those shoes, right? So let me ask no. you this. So is your no. mom's husband, right? The father of your siblings, or is he still living? He is still living and they are not married any longer. Um, so my brother lives near him and my sister lives near mom. Um, you know, one's in Wisconsin, one's in uh, Oklahoma. So he's still living, you know, and both of them are up in age. And when I found mom, she reached out and told him. So they still have a, you know, a communicating relationship. I mean, they're just not married, you know, not they're not good as married, a married couple, apparently, is what I'm understanding. But um, she, he was, you know, after talking to the siblings, uh, my siblings, he was one of the first people that she called to share the news. And wow. she did tell me that after they'd gotten married, that they um, talked about finding me. Which, you know, that sounded really nice, and it made me feel good. But here's the other side of that coin, Cammy. Nobody in my birth family looked for me. I, and when I say that, I mean, my sister tells the story of how, you know, she, every time she would be out and about, she would look at women that would be about my age, maybe, you know, have some of the features and wonder. So, I mean, she was scanning the crowd, so to speak, but none of them on any, no, none of my biological family called the adoption agency and said, Hey, has there been any contact from this child I placed for adoption or the sibling that my mom placed for adoption? Had they done that, they would have received my phone number, mm. but they didn't do that. Right. And, and, and they said that, they wanted to find you, but they didn't actively take any action to do that. Right. And you know yeah. something, when I did all of the DNA, and I didn't have anybody that matched with me. And it took Big D saying, well, why don't you reach out? I realized at that moment that I was waiting to be found. I wasn't actively taking action either. 
Right. But I did, you know, I mean, I put myself out there hoping that someone else was putting themselves out there and they hadn't. Um, so I finally took the action, but it's important to note that it feels good to hear. I always wanted to be a found, but, w- but why do we as the children have to do the looking? That's always if, the if question. You're happy, yeah. You know, and there isn't an answer. And that's again, just part of being an adoptee, the life of no answers or limited answers. Now is your biological father still living? He is. He is still living. Have you had a reunion? Have you had any reunion yet? So um, after I met mom and continued talking with other cousins on the other side, and then she confirmed a name and they confirmed the name and the DNA showed the link, you know, and so it was all confirmed. I couldn't, I'm a really good researcher, but I couldn't find an address that I could confirm as accurate for him. But I did find an address I could confirm as accurate for his brother. So I sent a letter to the brother. And this was in December of 2020. And I got a call with the voice because I didn't pick it up because I didn't know who it was. But he left a voice message and I called him back. And he had received my letter that day. He had called his brother, so my birth father, to tell him and would be forwarding my letter to him along with the photos. And so I had a really nice conversation with my uncle, who didn't know anything about me. Um, there was one, there were four brothers, and one of the brothers knew about me, um, but he is deceased. Um, and so this brother didn't know anything about me. And so he sent the information to my birth father, who my uncle indicated that he, my birth father was interested in um, getting the letter and connecting with me. So I still haven't, as of yet, heard from him. And he's still married to the woman that he married uh, seven years after I was born. Uh, so he's, you know, in a, in, his, in a long marriage. He had two children. He, they were both girls. So it turns out I also have uh, an additional two half-siblings. Uh, one of them, sadly, is deceased. But I was blessed to connect with the man uh, that loved her at the time of her death. And he has shared a great deal about who she was as a human being and a woman. And sounds like she and I uh, were kind of two peas in a pod. And if you look at our pictures, we could be twins. So it, it could be, you know, that he's still dealing with the fact that I look like a daughter that is not living anymore. Because um, that certainly freaked me out to see that in a good way for me. Sure. Um, and then the yeah, it was awesome. But um, the other sister I have, I think I have an address for her. So I'm going to make another attempt to reach out. I think I've got a good address for my birth father and I'll reach out to him and um, let him know that, you know, I've learned about, uh, gotten to know one of his daughters and uh, that I would like to know my other sister and that hopefully he'll reach out to her and me. Um, but, you know, I'm at the point where we don't know how much time we have. And so I hope that he will be open uh, and willing to have a conversation and get to know me because I'm a pretty cool human being. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing that I know. And I said this to him in a letter that I don't even know if he ever received um, because I wrote another one, but we can't replace the daughters that are gone and the fathers that are gone. Um, And I'm not looking to, but we can establish 
you know, a new relationship. I mean, I want to know about him. I want to know where I came from. And that includes understanding his side of the family. Um, because that's a part of me. And to another point, that's a part of my children. And that's a part of their history and their heritage and their genetics. And so while health history is really important, so are all of those things. And so I'm hoping that we'll find um, some of those answers. Um, hopefully he's ready sooner rather than later. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh yeah. my gosh, this story. And it just keeps getting better, right? So <laughs> Before we move on, let's talk about, because I want to really speak to the listeners right now um, yeah. about like, you know, what do you do? Like this is a different time now, right? This was 55 right. years ago, um, but, but it still happens today, right? Yeah, it still happens today. And so what kind of advice I, uh, would you give to people? So we, we're talking about all kinds of people here, right? That are affected right. by this. We have the mom whose teenage daughter comes home and says, oops, I'm pregnant. Right. right. And, and today in this day and age, there's, there's a few options, right? There's you have a baby, you get an abortion or you give your baby up for adoption. We're not endorsing anything, but we're just bringing up the point that like these are, you know, so what kind of advice coming from an adoptee who live this life and, and where you are today, what, what would you say? What would you tell them that they really need to know that would help them make the right decision? Wow. Um, it's a complex issue. And everyone has to approach it. I mean, it's an individual decision it's a complex issue some of the things that people need to be aware of that maybe isn't talked about I think is where I can share yeah um, and one of the pieces that people don't talk about is the fact and it and it is a scientifically proven fact so I'm not this is not like an emotional experience the facts and the science show, and they've shown us, um, I, I wish I could think of the date that this came out, but I'm, we're talking older than me. Science has shown and research tells us that when a child uh, grows, you know, to term in the mother, there is a lot of connection happening. And the connection that's happening is more than just the physical sharing of space. Um, it's emotional. It's imprinting. It's all kinds of things that I'm not even qualified to explain because I'm not a scientist. But what I do know is that when that same child is born and separated from the mother, there is trauma. And the trauma I mean, on the child, the trauma, the separation trauma that the child has. Now, this would be true when the child is born prematurely and ends up in a NICU unit. Yeah. And so we know that and we talk about that. But it is also true when a child is born and separated from their birth parent. My mother never held me. So I went from being in her womb for nine months to 
a very traumatic birth because I was breech and she did not have a C-section to never connecting physically with this human being again until I was 50, whatever I was, 54 when I met her. So the separation trauma is real. And so what I would suggest is that if someone, a woman is pregnant and wondering what her options are, she needs to really thoroughly understand the impact that separation trauma has on the child. And it's not something that goes away. It is something that stays with the child as they grow and it impacts all different ways of their life. It impacts some more negatively than others. Um, Adoptees have a higher incidence of suicide than non-adoptees. And that can be, as my understanding, can be related to the separation trauma. Um, So that's one piece. You need to understand that. Uh, You also need to understand that babies are not commodities. The adoption industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. And, and you need to look at it through eyes wide open. If you choose that as your option, you need to understand what it is you're choosing because it can just like anything, we can make it look good and we can dress it up. But the reality is that's, that, that is what it is. And again, these are facts that you need to be aware of and you need to see them as facts because the brochures and the pleading videos from parents that want to adopt, that's one side of it, but that, that isn't the whole picture. And that sounds really good, but that's not always the reality. And then you have to understand, I mean, that if you make this decision, when you give birth, your health that you know about will change as you age And you need to understand that the child has a right to that information. And currently there's not a really good mechanism in place. So you have to be prepared that this information is going to need to be shared. You know, when I was born, we didn't know the health information of my grandmother and my mother because they hadn't experienced the things that they now know. So, so that's another piece that you you have to be prepared for. And if you're not prepared for that and not willing to be contacted 20, 30 years down the road for information that is vital to another human being's healthy living, then you need to analyze your your choice, you know, what that is. And again, I'm not here to tell anybody good and bad. I had a great adoptive experience. My parents were awesome. There are no easy answers. Um, but family preservation, in my, I, my opinion, should be something. I mean, if, if a woman is saying, I can't afford to raise another child or raise this child, then we should be putting resources to that family to keep them together, as opposed to saying, oh, we've got the solution. We'll just have you give it up for adoption and someone else will pay for it and raise it. That's not the solution. Right. But if a woman feels like she has no other choice... You know, I mean, we can understand why she makes that choice, but she she shouldn't be forced to make a choice because of money. Yeah. 
Yeah. When it comes to human life. Right. I mean, yeah, okay, exactly. the car you drive, maybe the vacation you take, the house you live in. Yes. But not yeah. not another human. So you mentioned about, um, you know, that you realize that you're, nobody was looking for you, but yet you weren't really looking for them either. So with that being in mind, what would you say now? Um, do you regret like not doing this sooner? Um, in a perfect world, when would you have found your, your biological family? Like seeing, looking back, I mean, you know. Well, I guess I wasn't really clear. Um, I started looking when I was 18 because that was when I was legally able. Okay, I got it. So and, I, and, my, and this is before the internet. My dad offered to help me. He made phone calls to the president of the hospital where I was born which was a colleague because my dad worked in healthcare. He called attorneys, he called judges. And in Iowa, there was, there was no way he could unlock that information. I had myself for the next years, I had myself on whatever forms were available and lists were available and I would search them. You know, So when the internet first came out, there were some really basic places where you could go online and search or put your information. I did both, never found anything. Uh, when I got refused information, you know, I put my name with the agency, said, if anyone calls, here's my information, please share it. Um, when I found out that they couldn't search for my health information, I started writing letters. I wrote letters to the pastors of the Lutheran churches in the town I was born in. Um, no success there. And then I had a baby. And so, you know, then I had to focus on taking care of this new life of my own. And it was always something I dabbled in, but I had been rejected and disappointed so many times. Um, so to go back and do in an ideal world, I would have found him when I was 18 and really struggling with who I was and where I'd come from and who did I look like? And, you know, did I have the same traits as someone? I mean, I was athletic. I was musical. I was creative. Where did that stuff come from? I mean, all of that. Right. You know, I, I, I would have had, ideally, I would have been able to know that. Um, I would have had someone in my life that I looked like. Um, I would never want to go back and give up the parents I had. And at the same time, I would have loved to have been able to grow up with my siblings. Yeah. And so it, it's, you know, it's one of those, there's no right or right answer because I had a good experience. Yeah. What would you say to a child? So let's say there's a, a parents and a teenager out there um, who has been adopted and they're, they're suffering from that, that, you know, I want to meet my biological family, but I'm afraid, right. Or I'm afraid of how my adopted parents are going to react to this. Like there's yeah. that, uh, like you were so blessed to have, uh, you know, adoptive parents that were on your side and were like, we'll help you find them. Right. Uh, but what right. about that other dynamic? Like, what would you say to those parents or to the, even to the child of what do you do with I that? Think it's, right. What do you do? And I think it's really important for parents to understand that this is not about them, that their child can and probably does love them like nothing they could have ever, ever imagined. I mean, you know, the love is 
unconditional. And this is something that is needed and necessary for the child. Now, that doesn't mean all adoptees want to search. But I think it's important that the adoptive parents step back and realize they made a choice that the child had no part in. And that if a child wants to search, or I I guess I also want to say, they need to let the child know proactively that it's okay to do this. So give them permission. Like if that's- Give the child permission. Oh, that's so good, Ian. That's so, because it releases them, right? From that feeling of what, how are they going to respond or react? Because like if you started when you were 18, so this has been, you know, chewing away at you for a long time. And, you know, so- if, if they could just be, like you said, proactive and say, like, listen, if this is what you want to do, we're, we're with you and we'll help you. That takes away that big part of it. And it really gives them the freedom that if that is what they want to do, they can. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So <laughs> this has been, <laughs> I know it's gone in so many places, but this is so good because this is the thing that people are not talking about. You know, They're not right. writing a million books about it. It's not, they're not being interviewed on the news. Like we need to like shout from the rooftop here. So yeah. I love that you started this um, adoptee writer's experience. And I know you've been working with a lot of adoptees and you've heard, Oh, the good, the bad, the ugly, right? Of of these yeah. journeys are all different. Every one of them is unique in their own way. Uh, but what is your hope? Tell us about what you're doing with this adoptee writer's experience. And what is your hope and, and impact that you're looking to make in a way of supporting these people? Cami, my hope is that I can, by working with adoptees who are interested in writing their story, and it, some of them, I should say, they just want to write it for themselves and or their children as a legacy story. So their children know more about where they've come from. My hope is to give them the confidence to write these stories, which are very emotional and sometimes don't have all the prettiness to them that you know we want to talk about. So to get the stories out, to share them. I hope to elevate the voices of adoptees because as you mentioned, there aren't a lot of stories out there. There are more and more books being written. And as a journalist, I want to see the adoptee voice being portrayed accurately. And I want the language around adoption to change because maybe not meaning to, there's a lot of language that's used such as you're chosen that has such an impact on an adoptee. And the people that are using those words don't understand it because if they're not adopted, it seems like, I mean, it's the word that's been used. And there are so many examples of words. Um, your real parents. I had someone say that to me and I'm like, Oh, say, now that your parents are dead, you can search for your real parents. Well, whoa, the parents that died are my real parents. And the parents that created me genetically are also my real parents. Yeah, how do you (laughs) search through that, right? Yeah, so it's about language. And my hope is by getting more adoptees comfortable with writing their stories, we will see 
more adoptee stories from an adoptee voice out there. And, and when we do that, we can change the language around adoption and get rid of the false narratives that everything is great and adoption is the solution to an unwanted pregnancy and yada, yada, yada. Um, because again, it's complex and, and we need to hear from, as you, I'm going to steal your phrase, you know, you talk about the good, bad, and the ugly, and we need to hear the good, the bad, and the ugly from the adoptee perspective. So that going back to what you asked me about, so that when a woman finds herself with a pregnancy and she's contemplating her choices, she can look at the good, bad, and the ugly of what her decision might mean. A hundred percent. Yeah. We just have to educate accurately I and tell our stories. I believe that. And I believe that, the, you know, unfortunately there's shame in that story. And I think that yeah. sometimes that shame is what stops people from actually being so authentic and coming forward and having the conversation. But the truth is take a 16 year old teenager who comes home pregnant, she has no idea what's going to be like in 50 years. Like we need right. to be having these stories. We need to share this information. It, it, this isn't a band-aid to fix what's going to happen to you in the next nine months. This is a lifelong story with DNA and genetics and diseases. And like, this is important stuff besides all that you've already talked about. There's so much more. I feel like we need yeah. to have a second episode here. <laughs> I mean, we've got so much that we could still keep going with, but I do think we're going to move into this next place. Um, tell us about how people can work with you. What are you offering um, in your community and how are you supporting these people? How can they find you? Let's tell them all the things. Sure. The best place to find me is at my website because that's where everything is. And my website's annpeck.com. And when you're there, you will see everything. Um, I work with individuals. I work with adoptees. I teach what's called an introduction to the adoptee writers workshop, where you learn how to create your habit of writing and you get over the hump of what do I write about? And is it okay? And I will tell you, these are small, intimate sessions. And so it's a great way to get started. I also have a membership community for female identifying adoptees who want the support of others who they can relate to. And in that community, even if you're not currently writing, but you're working on a creative endeavor, it's a safe space for you to belong. Um, I have artists, I have writers, I have all kinds of different ways of expressing yourself creativity, creatively um, are represented in the group. So those are just a couple of the ways. And of course, you can always uh, sign up for my weekly love notes. And if you do that, not only will you get a weekly love note of inspiration, but I will also send you um, class announcements and offerings, uh, not very often, but I do send that out to the list first. So whoever getting love notes is getting that information first. And because I keep things small, um, they often fill up pretty quickly. Awesome. I love how you're taking your story and you're using it to empower other women and help them through some of this that uh, they're going through 
And, you know, I, I know you probably wish for sure that you had that kind of support as you were going through it. And I love that you became the person that you needed when you needed it, that you could be that person for somebody else. So thank you thank so you. much. Thank you for that. So before we move on, uh, I would love for you to share a little bit about this most amazing book. Now, I'm sure there's got to be an adoptee book coming out at some point, right? Uh, I, I there feel is. Like it's time, right? I mean, you just told this whole yeah. story. Uh, but tell us about this amazing book that's won so many awards uh, that you have written. So this is my book, um, Smiling on the Outside, Straight Smiling on the Outside, Secret Sex Shame and the Search for Self-Love. This book, in a, in a nutshell, it shares all of my shame stories, all of the things that have happened in my life that led to the next thing happen and happening. Um, so it talks about the things that we don't talk about, uh, the things that I wasn't talking about. And the hope was by sharing these stories that it would make a difference in someone else's life, that other women would read this and say, I'm not the only one, I'm not alone, and I'm not crazy. Um, and that's what it's done. And so I'm really proud of the journey that this book has been on. Um, I still can't believe, you know, that it won six awards. And it's just kind of one of those things I look at it and I'm like, oh, I did that. Oh, I wrote that. Oh, wow, that's my story. And so, yeah, it is, it's an important book. I've had um, a number of people reach out to me and they use it for a book club discussion, which is a really great way to do it, Cammie, because you can imagine, I mean, you were there, but you can imagine reading this book and then having a group of women to sit down, maybe have a glass of wine while you're doing it and talk about some of these stories because it, it opens up the opportunity during that kind of scenario for them to share their own stories and feel validated and safe. And it's kind of like our grandmas used to do in the church basement, you know, get together and talk about the things that they can't talk about upstairs. So. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? The underground <laughs> yeah. conversations, right? Oh my right. gosh. Hey, I hope you're enjoying this episode. And just before we get to the good stuff, right? The good, the bad, and the ugly. I have this great announcement for you. We are starting the Pod Power Hour, which is a virtual event that's going to happen on Wednesdays at noon Eastern. And so if you've ever thought about having a podcast, if you have questions, if you are a podcaster and you want to come and meet other podcasters and learn what's new, what's happening, tips and tricks to be better at this amazing passion of podcasting that you have, we would love for you to join us. We're going to have experts there that are going to be sharing their genius. It's going to be amazing. So, and if you're a host and you want to come meet some amazing uh, people that could be potential guests for you on your show, come on out. What a great way to get exposure. Be sure to check it out on my website at camilehman.com, as well as follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Whatever is your favorite platform, we will have registration there. You do need to register to attend. And it is on Zoom, so super simple, just one hour every other Wednesday. We start on May 4th, so don't miss out. Get registered today. We can't wait to see you there. 
You have moved from fighting cancer to discovering how to live beyond it. But what now? With so many emotional side effects still unknown, as a new survivor, you find yourself in a void as you navigate through the isolation, fear, and an uncertain future that can overshadow you and your family for years to come. Instead of focusing on the uncertainty of cancer, consider how strong and determined you are and think of the strength demonstrated by those who stood beside you through it all. Consider this. You now get to choose who you want to be and what your intentional, fulfilled life can look like. You made it through treatment. We can help you define yourself as a survivor. We're here to help you through this moment, to walk beside you as you shift your mindset from counting the days of life to creating a legacy. For more information, visit www.adventuretherapyfoundation.org or contact us at info at adventurefound.org. Well, this has been amazing. And now, you know, on the She's Invincible podcast, we promise our listeners that we're going to bring them fierce female entrepreneurs and we are going to share their expert zone of genius. Oh my gosh, Anne, I could not have wished for any better conversation than we've had Thank about you. this topic of adoption today. Uh, but we also promise them that we are going to pull back the curtain and we are going to share the good, the bad, and the ugly, because you see, women are constantly comparing themselves. They're always looking, like looking at you as a successful entrepreneur who's making a difference in the world and thinking she's so lucky. They have no idea uh, what you paid, the price you paid for the success and the life that you're living today. So, you know, I really feel like as an entrepreneur and as a leader uh, in entrepreneurship that we owe it to those people to go back and tell them the truth. We owe it to them to say, I know how the story ends, come with me and guide them through after we've taken that crazy hard journey. And so that's what we're about to do. We're gonna pull back the curtain and we're gonna share three quick stories about the good, the bad and the ugly. See, everyone wants the life you have today, but no one wants to pay the price you paid to have it. Mm -hmm. That's why they- Oh, think wow. Yeah, that's why they think you're lucky. But after this story, we can say, <laughs> do you guys want this life? Are you willing to pay the price? And it will always be, no way, she can keep it, right? We would never trade. So let's jump in. So tell me a story about the good part of this journey. The good part of this journey goes back to before you and I saw each other in New York with my book. And that is, I had a book. I didn't know how to release it. And Big D said to me, we had just come back from New York. And he said, wouldn't it be cool to have your book release in New York City? And I'm like, yeah, but I'm not the kind of people they invite there. I mean, you know, we had just been to Barnes and Noble and Union Square and all of the uh, books in the window. So all the famous people, right? And he's like, why not? I was like, oh, why not? Okay. And then fear set in, Cammie. I was paralyzed. I didn't know what to do. And so I told him, which was my first smart move. <laughs> and I asked for help. I said, 
could, he's like, just do this, this, and this. And I'm like, could you call them first? And so we had a list of stores. So he made the first call to find out the title of the person that handled book events. And from there, I used my strong skills, my strengths, my strengths are writing. Um, and so I developed an email and I sent it to these stores that I'd identified. And I asked them if they would bring me in to talk about my book. And I got a no, and I got a no, and I got a no, and I got another no, and I got a we don't usually invite these kinds of books in because there's such a deep topic, but I think your topic, I believe your topic is really important. And we would love to invite you to Barnes and Noble in union square. <laughs> oh my God. So, you know, it was almost one of those manifesting. I couldn't do it alone. I needed my partner to, you know, help me over the fearful parts. But the end result was, as you know, and you mentioned at the beginning, we released this book in New York City. You, you showed up. You came. You helped corral people and invite them upstairs to the event. And then you introduced me. And I got to do a reading and talk about this very important piece of literature and share it with the world. And that, yeah, that was, was a good story. <laughs> that was a great story. And that was that was one of my great stories too of my life because I, you know, you, we had connected and I was so excited to support you and your book and come to New York. I was like, you're coming to New York. That's an hour and 20 minutes away. And uh, and that was so amazing. And then when I got to introduce you, like I was like, pinch me. And Big D scratched a quick introduction on a piece of paper at the bar. And he's like, here. <laughs> <laughs> you just have to say this, but, but the most fun I think was going through the Barnes and Nobles and talking to all the customers <laughs> and, and inviting all of the people to come and, you know, and that, but then the, the, what took the cake was being able to sit in the back of the room and snap pictures. Like you were proper, mm -hmm. like I was like the paparazzi and you were the <laughs> one, but it was so cool to see you connecting and bonding with people who were sharing their story. And, and, you know, that transformation was happening and you were giving people hope uh, for a better yeah. life. Right. And, and hope that yeah. they could also be courageous. And I watched that take place and I still have those photos and they are some of oh. my favorite, favorite photos. So, oh. you know what, I, I may have come and supported you, but you have no idea how much you blessed me by, by Thank really you. inviting me into that place of being able to support you in such a way. That was such an honor. So thank you oh. for that. It's, it is one of Thank my most you. special moments um, of just connecting with people and meeting new great friends. So thank you. All right. Oh, man, was you. that fun, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why we start with the good because <laughs> it just doesn't get better from here. So let's go. Yeah. Let's move to the bad. So we'll save the ugly for last, but tell us a story, you know, with all great success comes, you know, great trial uh, so tell right. us a story about the bad part of this journey. Well, as high as the high was with the book, um, six weeks later, after I was back home, and you know, that's when the book marketing is supposed to really kick in. What was happening instead, and I never would have imagined it, couldn't have predicted it. I mean, now maybe I could go back and predict, but uh, I had a trauma response in my body. 
as a result, I am convinced of releasing these shame stories. Um, and when I say I had a trauma response in my body, I mean, I started having all kinds of issues that I didn't have an answer for. And I mean, I think I, at last count, I had like 50 some things going on at the same time. And so I withdrew and I was, you know, in doctor's offices and trying to figure it out. And, and doctor after specialist, after doctor, after specialist, I mean, it was, we weren't finding answers. We were finding lots of not this, not this, not this. Don't know, don't know, don't know. And meanwhile, my body is getting sicker and sicker. And, and then, you know, still not with an answer. I mean, I don't even know how to end the, the bed because they just got ugly after that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And you know, you, I mean, you were, you were reaching out to me wondering what the heck I was doing and where I was and I know, because you went like ghost town and I was like, where are you? Right? You just launched this amazing yeah. book and now you're like off the grid. And I remember you telling me that you were diagnosed, eventually you were diagnosed, but uh, that how sick you were. And I remember responding to you like, oh my gosh, this is your body's reaction. Like we knew, but it still didn't answer how to fix it or how to heal right. your body. Like it was just a thing that you, you had to go through, which is horrible. But you know what? As I say that out loud, I want to just emphasize this, that if you are going through a trauma and you're having a trauma response, like don't get stuck there, get through it as fast as you can, because the longer you sit in it, the the more trauma is created, right? So the faster you right. can work through it and get to the other side, like instead of letting it shut you down, make it push you faster because the faster you get to the other side, and I know you are a testimony to this, that then the healing begins and then, then you start to recover from that. But when you stay in that limbo state and you get stuck and you freeze, that causes a trauma to just continue to grow and really beat you up in your body. Yeah. And so, and so like, you know, we all go through so many things, but let's not stay there. What do they say? If you're going through hell, keep going. Right. <laughs> right? Don't stop there. <laughs> like, exactly. If you are going through it, keep going. Uh, and, and I think like that is the message that we need to say. So let's move into the ugly, <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. You know, the, uh, when we are called to success, this is where we see so much ugly, right? And the, the, the greater the success, the greater the ugly. Um, right. The one thing I want to say before you even share your story is that uh, it is in the ugly that we are defined. The ugly is what makes us who we are. The ugly prepares us for where we're going next. Uh, when we get out of the ugly to the other side, somehow we can look back and say in some crazy sadistic way <laughs> that we are grateful, right? We, because somehow it does play a part in this greater picture of life. So let's hear about your ugly. Well, first, I love what you just said. Um, and I know that for me, that was absolutely true. So I, after we were talking about the bad and it continued to get worse, if, I mean, but the good news, like I said, I was focused on it and then trying to figure it out. And then that's when my world 
seemed to blow up. And four months after my book came out, now I'm dealing with health issues getting worse and worse. And all of a sudden, all we see anywhere on Twitter and the news and on the television and in print is the Me Too movement, which ironically is how I promoted my book and what was in my book and what I talked about. But this wasn't me. This wasn't mine. And I felt such shame. I didn't, I shouldn't have, but I did. I felt shame. Right. I was worried this worldwide explosion of the Me Too movement, which by the way, Big D back in February had said, hey, you should trademark that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And I never did. All right, so there's that. So I'm remembering that. This is Me Too. No one's talking about Anne or Anne's book. And I am realizing that my research didn't pan out the person who had been using that phrase. I hadn't found it during my research, but the world now knew who she was. And I felt shame. I felt like an imposter. I felt like people were going to call me a copycat. I felt like all that I had achieved with my story and my book was going to mean nothing. And I was going to mean nothing. And I was going to be shunned. And I had all of these negative stories spinning through me. And I got sicker and sicker and sicker. Now, you talked about coming out the other side. What that did for me was I totally stepped back from my book. I found, I got a diagnosis. I focused on my healing and I stopped everything I had been doing and I completely switched gears. I was preparing myself for a life with a disease that would take my hands and my legs from me. And I wanted to continue writing. So I started writing about chronic illness and living with chronic illness and traveling with chronic illness and anything I could do that made me feel like I could do something. And I knew that if I lost my hands, I could do the voice, you know, to typing. And if I lost my legs, it didn't matter because I could still do all of this. And through that process of doing that and people reaching out and embracing me and, and me embracing what I had been given. I think that's really the key. I was embracing my new story and I was talking about it and I was sharing it. And because I was sharing it, people felt confident in sharing things with me, which led me along the journey to ultimately finding myself in remission from that. And what that taught me was how precious my health was and is, which unbeknownst to me would be really important for understanding when I met my birth mother and my birth sister, half sister and learned about my genetic health history because it's not a pretty picture, but I was able to take in that information with grace and it didn't have a response in my body. I felt stronger as a result of having the knowledge because now I knew specifically what my body had the potential to do. And I knew what I could do to help hopefully avoid that outcome. So they say knowledge is power, but I having that knowledge without having gone through that experience of 
of the shame and the diagnosis and this switching my life up and all of those things, you know, it felt ugly, but the outcome has been so beautiful. I mean, I'm healthier today than I have been in years. And I'm only continuing to improve upon my healthy status. So when I was in the midst of it, and I was failing medicine after medicine and wondering, is anything going to find relief? Am I going to get anywhere? I mean, I had no idea that, you know, a couple of years later, three years later, I would feel like this. Mm. But, um, but I do. And it's because I went through the ugly. It's because I went through what seemed like the bottom of the barrel, even lower than the stuff I wrote about in my book. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Oh my yeah. gosh. And look at you now, like you're, you're energetic. You've got all this stuff going on. You're traveling around the world, but yes. you know, and so, yeah. And, and it, all of that did prepare you and it did, it prepared you for what was coming next and yeah. what a gift, you know, as hard as that was, what a gift. Look at you now. Look, look at, at me you now. now. Look at you yeah. now. I know. Yeah. And I love to look at you now because when I see you, I wonder what's she going to do next? No, don't we all? <laughs> I know because you have done so many amazing things. I, you know, I like, I, when I read your book, I'm like, I can't believe this is my friend and this is her story. And like, it's so, uh, so unbelievable. Uh, and yet, and then I see you and I think this is my friend, this invincible woman who live that life and is living on top right now. And man, you deserve all the greatest things that life has to offer you. Thank you. I love you, sweet friend. I love you too. So, so much. And I'm so grateful for you. And again, especially for not the life you lived, but the authenticity in which you share it so that you can help other people to live their best life. And that to me is amazing. Oh my gosh, you guys. Ah, I don't know how we're all keeping it together right now, but this has been the most amazing conversation. And I hope that you have gotten all of the golden nuggets out of it that we wanted for you today that we came here to offer to you uh, to help empower and enrich you wherever you are. And be sure to check out the show notes. You can click right into the show notes and you'll be able to find Anne and click into her webpage find her book, her programs, and all the ways that she can support you in your journey as well. And before we say goodbye, Anne, you know, I was just mentioning about travel. So I want to ask you, you have been like the world traveler, and especially since the <laughs> pandemic, like you and Big D have been on all the cruise ships. I mean, I don't know people who've been on different cruise ships three <laughs> weeks in a row. Um, and I think like my favorite memory as your friend has was was when you came to Aruba and I was able to meet with you guys and we got to go spend a day on the beach and just carry on and have fun and um, and then take you back to your ship. And like, what a fun, like we haven't had a lot of moments, but the ones we have have been epic, right? Yes, like, like, they have. It, yeah, like that. That's, that's what it's all about. It's not how many you have. It is how great the ones you have are. And so yeah. share with us what has been your favorite vacation destination so far? Oh, my gosh. Well, as you mentioned, there's lots of cruises and I've had a blast and we've seen all kinds of places in the Caribbean. We love New York City. 
And so I would have thought I would have picked the ocean or New York City, but I got to tell you, after doing all of that travel, we ended up in Las Vegas. And I know, I know you, right? Who could predict? But the beauty of this little favorite story is we, he, Big D was going to a conference. We stayed outside of Las Vegas at a resort. I got a free upgrade to a suite. And it was the most relaxing, serene vacation I, I, I wrote during the day, two days while he was gone. On the other three days, I spent time, he came and spent time with me. We went out to the resort pool. We just laid in the sun. So I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to go anywhere. I, I mean, it was, it was heaven. It was heaven. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful. It was like being in the mountains, but I was in the desert you know, big pine trees out my window. It was spectacular. I love that. I love that, you know, and I have never been to Vegas and it's always been on my list of a super fun place to go. So <laughs> I'm going to have to look forward to that and, and find out where that resort was because I'd love to go chill somewhere in a spa as well. Oh yeah. my gosh. Well, thank you so much for being here today with us and sharing your story. And I just want to tell our listeners, I don't know where you are in your life or your business, but if you are face down on the ground right now, get back up, girl. Get back up. You can do it. Tell her, in. Tell her. You can do it one step at a time. You can do it. Yes, you can. Just get back up, girl. We're here for you. Just get back up. You can do it. Hey, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. If you were inspired or learned something new, please subscribe to the podcast, give us a review and share us with your friends. For more information about me and how I can support you, please stop on over to my website at camilehman.com and book a free call with me. I'd love to meet you and learn more about how I can support you.